There's a teacher I read about recently who works in the county where I live, not in the county where I teach, who walks three miles every day to find internet access where she then sits down and live streams herself reading The Outsiders so that her students can finish the book because she knows how frustrating it is to start a book and not finish it. To the best of my understanding, there's almost no instruction going on. She just didn't want to leave the kids hanging. I think that's beautiful. I mean, that's a, that's dedication and all the rest. But can we reasonably ask teachers or students to do that, to access Internet, to continue on with traditional schooling? Uh, you know, I don't know. Now, as good a job as was done with all that, I was very frustrated, and in certain ways still am, that we're not taking advantage of this as an opportunity, okay? School closure could be an opportunity to force the ideas of distance learning, to get teachers acclimated to using a learning management system as something other than just a repository for uploading PDFs. You know, we can actually set ourselves up for a quality blended learning in the future. I think the reality is that for most teachers, in most school divisions, what we're going to do for the next couple of months is not going to be great. I think in most cases it may, you know, it may hit a level of good enough, but I don't think we're going to look back on this and think that most of us are doing a genuinely good job teaching online. And if we understand that our expectations should be relatively low, both for teacher performance and for student performance in this setting, then it's probably also a good time to try something new right? What do you have to lose? We have nothing to lose by trying to make this into an opportunity. However, in my division and many others, we're, we're being given guidance that looks very safe. And I think that the safe guidance early on was one of my biggest frustrations. Nothing, you know, no new content, review only, all optional, no live meetings, which we're still in, but I think this is going to change soon. I just really felt like we were giving away an opportunity to do something that could make schools better for a very long time. I, I do think that there's a couple things that maybe I was overlooking early on, right? One of the things I may have been overlooking early on was the idea that students not only wouldn't have access, which again, my, my school division's leadership has done a pretty good job of, of addressing, but that students may not actually have the environment at home to do this work. I think I, you know, early on was underestimating the number of students who were going to be responsible for babysitting their younger siblings, were going to be responsible for picking up additional chores and work around the house because their parents now had to work from home, in some cases work longer hours. I actually have had contact with a couple of students who have actually been working more at their part-time jobs than they were previously because the family needs money and because the student has a job and they have access to additional hours. So where parents are sometimes getting laid off of certain jobs, students who are working at at fast food restaurants, grocery stores, places like that, actually have the opportunity to work additional hours. And many of them are doing that to help make sure that they're paying the bills, they're paying the rent, because in some cases, their parents have been let go. And that's not something that I had given a lot of thought to initially. Um, another one, and this is one that I think maybe all of us need to consider. I posted about this in a couple places online in principal and school leadership groups on Facebook and Twitter. I think maybe we're underestimating the effect that the coronavirus is going to have on our school staff. One of the reasons, one of the best reasons that we should be planning in groups rather than doing a lot of innovative and experimental things as I, as I personally really want to do 
um, we have to recognize the possibility that we're going to have a lot of people over the next few weeks not capable of working from home, not capable of, of checking their emails constantly. In my school division, uh, and I haven't checked the numbers in the last few days, but at last count, there were seven teachers who represented three or four different schools who had tested positive for the coronavirus, one of whom has now passed away. And if you have, you know, in one of those elementary schools, I think it was two or three teachers just in the one building, I think we have to be honest and say, you know, the infection rate's probably significantly higher than that. Now, maybe people are getting lucky and they're asymptomatic or they're not dealing with the more severe issues. But I think more places, particularly around the coasts, but you know, all over the country, I think more and more schools are going to be dealing with staff members who are ill, perhaps students who are even ill. And what do we do then? So some of my frustration about why aren't we innovating? Why aren't we running? You know, I just wanted to run. As soon as they said, hey, school's closed, you're going to do this online, figure out something new. I had a brainstorm. I had a million ideas. And then I was so upset. I was so frustrated and confused. And I was told not to do any of those things. Just slow down, hang out and wait. If we're looking at the data, not school data, if we're looking at the health data, uh, that might actually be really good advice. You know, there's a very real possibility that I could contract this, that I could have got it at the grocery store in my last week of school. And if I go off planning something wild and new and interesting, but difficult to administer, and then I'm too sick to do anything with it, who's going to pick up? Who's going to pick up the slack? I asked this question in a principal's group on Facebook, and you know, most people seem to not have answers. They said, oh, well, you know, we plan in groups and we hope for the best. The most common answer I saw was principals who basically were crossing their fingers and saying, God forbid, we hope that doesn't happen. But I am enrolled in each of my teachers' Google Classrooms, so if any of them get too sick to work, I can jump in and I can be the instructor in their Google Classroom. And, you know, I said, God forbid, but what happens if you get sick? Not a single principal had an answer for that. We're all walking through this under the, under the belief that this will never happen to me. And maybe something that school administrators and, and upper administration in particular, superintendents, et cetera, should be thinking about is how many of your staff members are going to be affected? And what does that do to their ability to work from home and continue instruction? As much as I'm disappointed by doing, you know, team-based, grade-level-based planning and keeping things sort of simple and slow, that might be a good decision in a few in a few different ways. And maybe the most important one is taking care of people's health and preserving time to be healthy, right? Now, as I just said, I, I've really been motivated to innovate. I'm seeing all these ways that we can use online resources, that we can let students do the project-based learning that's being promoted, that's been promoted for the last few years. This is the prime time for project-based learning. Students have access to library resources from home. In most cases, in my school division, they can access all kinds of library databases, you know, university-level uh, resources and all the rest. This is the perfect time to do some project-based learning. Now, they might be working more independently than cooperatively as we'd intended, but even that doesn't have to be true. I think we do have a real opportunity to innovate how we look at school. Students can be teaching themselves. Students can be learning on their own. The teacher really in this role has to be the facilitator. There are places in the country, there are many, many school divisions that are doing synchronous teaching where you have a schedule and you meet with your students live every day. But I, I think we have to be honest and recognize that not every student's going to be able to meet at that time live every day and that making those sorts of, of engagements isn't going to work for everyone. I mean, I saw, I can't even count the number of posts I saw today from teachers 
in teacher, private teacher groups, posting about how upset they are, how stressed they are, because they're trying to teach online, which is something they haven't done before. It's taking more time than they expected. They're working more hours than they did before, but they're also now doing it with their own children at home, right? So now they have to watch their own little children. They're trying to teach classes live. They're trying to maintain the materials to update their learning management systems. They're trying to do all this work. And they said that, you know, a person who used to work they're eight hours a day plus an hour in the afternoon or something like that. I'm seeing a lot of people posting about working for, you know, at least 10 and a lot of times 12 and 14 hours a day and still feel like it's not going well. We need to be realistic. How much are you going to get done here? And how much teaching really needs to happen? If one of the things that we want to do is get away from the industrial model of education in which students go in, they sit down in rows, they listen, they take notes, they raise their hands. If we want something that's more interactive, something that's more student-based, well, isn't this the opportunity to do so? I think it's really telling that one of the things, one of the first impulses that we all have is to figure out how can we do a live stream and put every student's picture and video into a grid where we can watch them in nice, neat rows and columns on our screen. It looks orderly, but it probably isn't, and it probably isn't the best way to proceed. Now, I'm not arguing against having live conferences with students. I'm not saying that there's no value in doing a discussion or a lecture. I'm just saying that if one of the things that we're trying to do in school is reduce the amount of teacher-led instruction, we're trying to cut back on the direct instruction, on the lecture and the rest, then why is it our first priority to get that up and running now? Why aren't we just creating student-centered, student-driven projects where students ask the questions, students access the resources, and the teachers are just there to provide support, point out resources, to answer those questions? I think we can do that. I think we should do that. And that still allows for some of the innovation that I really want to do, but it also helps school systems to maintain progress towards their long-term goals of changing the quote-unquote educational paradigms that we've been stuck in for so long. I think the immediate drive to try to figure out how can we keep doing school online the way we've been doing school all along is probably the bad response. I think it's it, it makes sense. It's the most reasonable thing to do. You cling to what you have and you try to stick with what you know. But If what we're trying to do in the future is different than what we've done in the past, maybe we're at a hinge point where we really need to acknowledge we can do the different things now, right? The teacher is best suited as a facilitator in distance learning, not as the actual direct instructor. I say this is a person who loves some direct instruction. I don't lecture all the time, but I've got a handful of lectures every year that work well. Kids love them. We learn a lot. We cover ground fast. I don't expect to be doing much of that. Even if I'm given the the go-ahead to do live video conferencing, I just don't think that's the best way to use this situation. I don't think it's the best way to use the technology. And I don't think that that's something that's going to make me a better teacher in the future, right? I've been forced into a new and difficult situation. And if I want to make this something that works for me, I can't just immediately fall back on what I would have been doing anyway. State tests are canceled. How many people are going to repackage their state test prep and try to make it look like something new that can be done online. Be honest. What would you normally do through April, through May? You're prepping kids for tests. What are most teachers going to do for the next few weeks? Well, you don't have content, right? For the last several years, the last 20 years, you've been doing test prep at this time of the year. So what's something that you want to teach? What's something you've wanted to try that you normally just feel like, well, I just can't do it. We've got to make sure they're ready for that state test. We've got to make sure they're ready for that, that AP exam, that SAT in May. SATs canceled. AP exams are all going to be 45 minutes, done at home, one single essay question, right? Or that's the current guidance anyway. Why waste all of this time on test prep when most of the tests are gone or reduced? 
this is our chance to do something new. So even if we're going to keep it simple, we're going to move slow. I don't think that we should immediately try to push back into a classroom setting with everybody on screen at the same time, staring at the same video, listening to the teacher give the same lecture. That's not going to help us in the future. And if we're being honest, it's probably not going to help many of us now. Okay, that doesn't that doesn't take into account any considerations about student health, both physical or mental. That doesn't take into account the teacher's home life and their settings. It's not easy to work around other family situations, employment issues, money issues or anything else. If we want to be flexible and if we want to be supportive, then even by going slow, even by using standard formats, we should still be doing things that are student centered and that have flexible timelines that have more student choice, the teacher needs to step back and fall into the role of facilitator. And if that isn't going to work out well, then let's be honest, it wasn't going to work out that well in the classroom either. It's better for us to figure these things out now than to, you know, cling to our old methods and our old lessons and then go back to school in the fall and pretend like we're going to continue on with the progress we've been talking about for the last few years. This is still an opportunity, and so that's what we need to do. We need to move forward using the coronavirus school closures as an opportunity for us. Now, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is leadership, and I've probably been at certain points, um, I don't want to say this, I've probably been a little too harsh on school administrators, maybe on politicians at certain points. And I think that's I think that's fine. I think probably everyone has, and I'm sure there's a lot of people in administrative positions and political positions who feel very much the same way. They're critical of their superiors and the rest. But it, here's here's something that I posted uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, and I've shared a couple times. And this is very much how I was feeling about leadership overall, state level, federal level, local level, and some of this is softening. But I'll, I'll read what I posted. The Virginia Department of Education's new guidance, and this is as of uh, probably about a week ago, maybe March 23rd, 24th, something like that. I wrote, it is as though people at the top of a system built on grades and test scores have suddenly realized that when grades and test scores are removed, their system and jobs are arbitrary. And as a result, they're providing arbitrary and ambiguous guidance. Now, that's probably unfair. I think that people in the Department of Education and and local school administrations are all doing the best they can, and I don't know that anybody was prepared for this situation. We can argue whether or not we should have been, but I think the reality is almost no one was, and it would be unfair to throw stones because I'm no better prepared than, than they probably were. That being said, I think what we're seeing right now is a lot of confusion from upper administration, and when I say upper, I mean maybe superintendents, but especially, especially at the state and federal levels. When you are in an administrative and leadership position in a system that is built on grades and test scores, what do you do when the tests are canceled? What do you do when we're not grading anything? I have students who aren't going to know what to do with themselves because everything they do is based on how it will affect their grades, their GPA, their college admissions. What is a kid going to do when they find out that their work is not graded or it's graded pass-fail? What do they do when they find out that all the tests are canceled or simplified and changed? If the only thing we're doing is generating GPAs and test scores, and now those things are gone, of course we're all going to experience some confusion, right? In that original post, I might have been too harsh on on the upper upper administrators, and and you know for that I guess I apologize, but I do think that there's some truth to this. We say that school's about more than grades. We say that it's about more than test scores. We say that it's about more than just sitting in the room and going through the motions. Well, now we're in a situation where you're not in the room, where there is no test, where there is no grade. All we need to do is learn. 
And in most cases, we see people spinning wheels. We don't know what to do with ourselves. We probably need to admit that the focus on grades is our fault. It's a systemic problem, right? If the grades are gone and the tests are gone, well, now we have the chance to run. We can be free, right? You can move in any direction. And while in some cases that's scary, I think we have to acknowledge that even doing the normal thing, you know, doing whatever you would have done before in the current climate is going to be scary anyway. So we need to change. And... Thinking about all this, I, I fell back on a quote from Marcus Aurelius, who is um, one of my favorite philosophers, a Stoic philosopher, probably a relatively mediocre you know, Roman emperor. But in terms of his thoughts and his approach to life, I, I love the guy. If you've never read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, I strongly, strongly recommend it. It's very readable. Get a modern translation. It's great. And this is one of his famous quotes about leadership. He said, it is the responsibility of leadership to work intelligently with what is given, and not waste time fantasizing about a world of flawless people and perfect choices. Now, I've thought about this again and again, and when I first made the post, when I first tracked down the quote and you know, created a little image, a little meme out of it, I was very much focused on state-level and federal-level leadership. And then I was starting to think about local superintendents and division leaders. And I think in, the rea- in reality, every one of us needs to acknowledge that we have some sort of leadership opportunity here. And, and so I'm going to reinterpret the quote in a way that I, I think of it now. This is not what I was thinking when I first posted it. When I first posted I just thought, if you're a person who's a superintendent or you're a state-level you know, administrator, executive, your whole job is to make these big decisions. Your job is to keep the system moving. You're getting paid a lot of money. Your job is to make the tough calls in these moments. And as we sat and watched and waited and waited and watched, waiting for guidance, I think a lot of people got frustrated, got confused. I I know I did. I've already talked about that. But maybe teachers are in the same situation. It is the responsibility of leadership, including teachers, the leaders of the classes, to work intelligently with what is given. What do I have in my access? What do my students have access to? Do we have the technology? Do we have a way to communicate? Do we have something to read or to work on? And not waste time fantasizing about a world of flawless people and perfect choices. I should not, as a teacher... I should not be making excuses for my own poor efforts and blaming it on the fact that I've gotten poor guidance from the people above me at the local, the state, and the federal levels. Maybe they've done a good job. Maybe they've done a poor job. In the end, my job is to do my job. And if my job is to educate students, then I shouldn't allow bad guidance to to affect that. I shouldn't allow fear of access or what will we do about this student to affect that. I think we really need to be making decisions in the situation, knowing that no one is perfect, that none of us are going to make a perfect decision, that none of us have a perfect situation, that none of us are operating in a vacuum. Everybody is dealing with a lot of variables. This is a very frustrating and confusing and in some cases scary time. And maybe what we need to do is look at the big picture, consider our goals and take action. And if in the end, some of us are wrong, that's fine. Some people are going to be wrong, but I can't waste my time and put forth a poor effort for myself, for my my personal goals, for my family, for my students. I can't do a bad job and then pass the buck and say, well, you know, the state said this, the superintendent said this. Well, I, I only had these two options, so I just did this thing. Fine, own it. If this is what I can do, then this is what I need to do. And I think that all of us would benefit from taking a little more leadership and a little more ownership and realizing that our our leaders and our administrators are stuck in the same confusing and difficult situation we are, 
And if we really want to sympathize with them, then we need to start taking some responsibility and be ready to act. I'm not saying to act in ways that aren't in accordance with, you know, your school division's guidance. Don't get yourself in trouble, but it's probably not a bad time to follow the guidance and be a little bit creative with it. You know, how bad can it go if you try to do something great and somebody complains? Someone's going to complain no matter what. What you need to be doing is serving your students and serving your community. You need to take care of yourself. You need to take care of your family. We need to do the right thing. And I think the right thing is almost always going to be to focus on learning, to focus on improvement. So what should we do? Keep it simple. Keep the assignments simple and obvious. Don't work through a thing with a million steps. If you're going to do research, make the research process very simple, very clear. Probably a good idea to let students choose their questions and their pathways as well. Make sure that whatever we're learning is applicable. Since most of the tests are gone now, then this is not about getting a test score. This is not about proving something on paper. Let's do something that students are actually going to remember and use for the rest of their lives. The other thing is probably keep it short. This is something I struggle with, both talking, you're dealing with that problem right now, but also I get ambitious sometimes in the number of things we can do and how much we can accomplish in a class, and I sort of over plan. You know, my students will tell you that I, I, we're always behind. You know, I, I can tell them we're 15 minutes behind this class, and that class is an hour behind where I want to be, and blah, blah, blah. That's just, I always over plan. Maybe in the distance learning model, it's the wrong time to over plan. We have to understand that people have a lot of different concerns. We have a lot of things pulling at them. There's a lot of stress going on. And so maybe keeping it short, keeping it simple, focus on real learning that's applicable in most people's lives is the best way to go. If we grade anything, it should probably be pass-fail, and a student should probably have to do a pretty terrible job before you even consider failing someone in the current climate, right? Nobody chose this situation any more than they chose their situation six months ago, but now we're all in a situation that is, you know, in most cases, noticeably worse. And I think that we need to be understanding of that. I think we need to know that we're in a place that's different and we should be responding accordingly. Okay. What are we doing? You know, what's the goal here? And if the goal is to help students to learn, to help them improve, to help them to grow, then maybe that's all we really need to worry about. Now, I say this from the perspective of a high school teacher. If you're an elementary school teacher, stick with skills. You know, read, think, write, and speak. RethinkRightSpeak.com is the other way to get to the ClassCast podcast uh, and throw in numeracy. I mean, I, if all students are doing in the elementary levels right now is literacy and numeracy, that's probably all they needed to be doing in the first place. And that's probably the easiest stuff to stick with now. So focus on literacy, focus on numeracy. At the high school level, I would tell you basically the same thing, but make sure that we're thinking more about application to students' future endeavors, whether that's college, job, uh, et cetera. This doesn't have to be three months of review. This doesn't have to be two or three months of stagnation. This doesn't have to be daily frustration and stress. Everyone has enough to be worried about. Let's not plan classes that make it worse. Let's think about what Marcus Aurelius said and know that we're in a world where all the people are flawed, where all the good choices have been taken away. So what can we do? It is the responsibility of leadership to work intelligently with what is given and not waste time fantasizing about a world of flawless people and perfect choices. So I end this, the 22nd episode of the ClassCast podcast, with this piece of advice. Quit worrying about the flawless people. Quit worrying about perfect choices that don't exist. 